You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Qalam is pleased to announce that admissions for the next Qalam seminary intake are now open. For more information, please visit qalaminstitute.org. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Asirat al-Nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. Today, inshallah, we'll be talking about the beginning of the third year of Hijrah. In the previous session, we concluded the second year of the Prophet Sallallahu residence in the city of Medina uh, by talking about the marriage of the daughter of the Prophet Sallallahu Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, to Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. May Allah be pleased with them. And that concluded our discussion of the second year of Hijrah. Of course, the second year of Hijrah, as we talked about, the highlight of it. There were many important events during that year, but of course, the Battle of Badr was the major uh, epic event that took place that we talked about in a lot of detail. The third year of Hijrah is a very, very critical, very crucial uh, year also in the development of this community and in establishing the standing of the Muslim community uh, of Medina within Arabia itself. And of course everyone is familiar that the major or epic event of the third year of Hijrah is of course the Battle of Uhud, um, but that again comes later on in the year and we'll be eventually working our way towards there insha'Allah. Starting at the very beginning of the third year of Hijrah. Now, I want us to keep in mind a little bit about what the environment is. What the atmosphere in Arabia is at that particular time. Here is this, what's still seen as a fairly small community. It's nowhere near the size of the Meccan community, the Quraysh. It's nowhere even near the size of Ta'if or Banu Thaqif. So it's still seen as a fairly smaller size community. Um, and the Prophet ﷺ, along with the Muslims that are now gathering in the city of Medina, are looked at as a minority a kind of a fringe, small, weird type of community by the larger Arabia, Arabian Peninsula, by the Arabs. But what happened was that the Battle of Badr occurred. And in the Battle of Badr, even though they were outnumbered by three to one, they were able to achieve a very miraculous victory. And as we know, we read and talked about that it was extremely miraculous. Um, but nevertheless, the outcome of the Battle of Badr was that all of Arabia had been put on notice. Mecca was reeling from the loss. The Quraysh were still trying to figure out exactly what had transpired, what had happened. Mecca was full of frustration and anger and resentment towards the Muslims of Medina. And all of Arabia started to pay attention and keep an eye on Medina, that what's going on over there? Exactly what is going on? Now, this is the environment that the Muslims live in. And remember, we talked about that Abu Sufyan had even come with like a group of bandits and, you know, attacked, um, you know, a certain part of Medina and then basically escaped and ran away from there. And increasingly, there was spying and scouting that was going on from some of the Bedouin tribes, from the Meccans, from other people, even from the people of Ta'if on Medina that keep an eye on what's going on. So occasionally they would, you know, they would see people coming and spying and checking on them and 
things like that. So there was also a lot of concern within Medina that we have to find a way to be able to protect ourselves. And we have to let these people know that we will not tolerate this type of, you know, uh, aggressive behavior. So the beginning of the third year was very much um, dominated um, or a lot of it was spent you know, um, addressing these types of concerns that the Prophet ﷺ had and that similarly the Muslims in Medina had at that time. So the very first event that we're going to talk about is called um, Ghazwatu Najd, the campaign of Najd. The campaign of Najd, and it's also referred to as Ghazwatu Dhi Amar, the campaign of Dhu Amar. Um, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Isham, Waqidi, all of the historians, the classical scholars of the Sira, they all talk about this particular campaign. The greatest amount of detail um, is found um, by Waqidi. He mentions the greatest amount of detail in which he men mentions that in the very beginning of the third year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ received the news that Ghatfan was an area that was north of, uh, in the northern region. Over there, there was Banu Thalaba, um, and that they were basically gathering together and collecting an army and a force to launch an attack against the Prophet ﷺ and the city of Medina, the Muslims. So there was a force that was gathering and they were basically looking to launch an attack against the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ taking this you know, situation very seriously, the Prophet ﷺ himself, he gathered a group together. Some of the narrations mentioned that there were more than 400 people that the Prophet ﷺ was able to gather together and he put Uthman bin Affan Anhu, whom the Prophet ﷺ had a lot of confidence in, um, in charge of the city of Medina. And with about 450 people, the Prophet ﷺ set out in the direction of Ghatfan. The Prophet ﷺ, along with um, the 450 people that he had with him, the Sahaba, traveled till they reached um, uh, a stream or a river by the name of Dhu Amar. They decided to stop there because it was near a water source and basically camp out there. The narration also mentions that while they were camped out there, a very interesting event happened with the Prophet ﷺ. It rained a lot. And so due to the rain, the Prophet ﷺ was completely soaked. His clothes had become completely wet and soaked. So the Prophet ﷺ changed out his clothes and he hung his clothes from a tree and because he was hanging his clothes from a tree and he was changing and whatnot, he had also removed his sword and also had hung it from the tree. And the Prophet ﷺ himself had kind of sat down waiting for his clothes to dry under the tree and he laid down after some time. There were some mushrikun who were basically nearby, who were keeping an eye on this huge group of Muslims that was here. And so one of them was told by his buddies to basically go and threaten the Prophet ﷺ. And so the, this man came, drew the sword of the Prophet ﷺ and approached the Prophet ﷺ. The narration mentions that his name was Gawrath ibn al-Harith. Gawrath ibn al-Harith. And he came upon the Prophet ﷺ and he said, قَدْ أَمْكَنَكَ اللَّهُ um, 
So he came upon the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Muhammad, may yamna'uka minni al-yawm. O Muhammad, who will protect you from me today? Who will defend you from me attacking you here now today? And the Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, Allah. Now, there are two narrations to this effect. Ibn Kathir Taala says there's a later narration on another campaign that we'll talk about. Um, but they are very similar in their, you know, uh, in basically the events that happened. In this particular narration, what is unique is that when the Prophet said Allah, Jibreel came down and shoved the man in his chest. And the man basically went flying. The man went flying and he fell down on his back. And the sword obviously flew out of his hand. The Prophet ﷺ got up, he grabbed the sword and then he said, Who's going to defend you from me? You asked who would defend me from you? Well, Jibreel obviously did. But who will defend? And he said, Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Jibreel ﷺ, but who will defend you from me? And the man responded by saying, La ahad, there's no one that could defend me from you. And I bear witness that you that there is no one worthy of worship except for Allah and that you are the Messenger of God. And he said, I swear to God that I would never dare attack you ever again. And I will not stand with the people that are against you ever again. Look at the convictions of the Messenger The Prophet hands the man his sword. He hands him the sword. And the man, the, basically the Prophet tells the man he's free to go. The man he goes back um, to some of his friends who are watching from a distance. And they said that, what happened? Waylak, malaka. What happened to you? What did you do? So he says, I saw a huge man appear in front of me who shoved me in my chest. And I fell, he shoved me so hard that I flew back and I fell down on my back. I recognized the fact that that had to be an angel. That was not, he was not human. It was an angel. And I recognize at that moment that Muhammad is a messenger of God, that an angel comes to his aid. I will never stand against him ever again. And eventually he became not only just the first person to accept Islam amongst his people, but he became someone who actively used to preach Islam amongst his own people. And Waqidi mentions, and Ibn Kathir mentions as well, that the ayah from Suratul Ma'idah, ayah number 11, this man is one of the people about whom this ayah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, udhkuruni amatallahi alaykum. O you who believe, recall and remember the blessing of God upon you. When the people tried to lay their hands on you, they tried to put their hands on you. But God removed their hands from you. Meaning Allah prevented them from putting their hands on you. Um, and so Imam Bayhaqi says that in the 
battle the discussion about the campaign of Zatul Riqa. Qissatun tushbihu hadihi. Fala'allaha qissatan. There's a similar story in the Ghazwa Zatul Riqa. And it's probably two different stories. And that's what um, uh, Ibn Kathir mentions as well. That there's another story as well, and we'll mention that at that particular place. But there were multiple incidents that were very similar like this, that transpired with the Prophet ﷺ. And this was basically, this occurred during the campaign known as Ghazwatu Najd, or Ghazwatu Dhi Amar. That this transpired, that this happened. The Prophet ﷺ remained camped out there, some narrations mentioned for about 15 days. And after 15 days, no army came that way, no army was marching towards Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ himself did not go any further ahead looking for trouble. That's, that was not the imperative at this moment. But rather the Prophet ﷺ along with 450 companions, they returned back to Medina safe and sound. So this was the very first uh, major event of the third year of the Prophet residence in the city of Medina. The next major event that again, um, Ibn Kathir mentions, Ibn Ishaq mentions, and that is after the Prophet returned back from this um, campaign of Najran. This was still during the first month, towards the end of the first month, or the beginning of the second month uh, of the year, during the month of Safar. The Prophet ﷺ came back. So Muharram and then Safar. In the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, the Prophet ﷺ, towards the end of the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, the Prophet ﷺ set out again from the city of Medina, um, it doesn't specifically mention how many people he had with him, but nevertheless, the Prophet ﷺ left Medina. He put uh, Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum anhu, in charge of the city of Medina, and he traveled with this group of Sahaba um, to the place of Buhran. And this was in the direction of Mecca. They camped out at the place of Buhran for about 10 days, according to Al Waqidi. Um, and again, this was basically to let the people of Mecca know that we are defending not only Medina, but the route and the path to Medina. So if you're thinking about attacking, then you need to think twice. So these were very strategic moves to ensure the safety and the security of the city of Medina. And again, there was no fighting, there was nothing that took place, no skirmish, no battle, no nothing. And so the Prophet ﷺ returned back with the group of Sahaba to the city of Medina um, and, and basically maintain, uh, maintained residence in the city of Medina. Now, the next event uh, or incident that is reported in the third year of Medina um, and we'll be talking about this here today. This is probably going to be um, the major uh, event that we'll be talking about here today. And that is, there were, if you recall, if you remember when we talked about the Prophet ﷺ arriving in the city of Medina, one of the very first things that he did was, he recognized the Jewish tribes that resided both in and right outside of Medina. He recognized, with that, he recognized them, he um, met with them, um, had dialogue and conversations with them, and eventually was able to get them on board in signing a peace treaty and agreement about coexistence, peaceful coexistence in Medina.
And there were, there were certain legalities that were worked into this agreement, this pact, this contract if you will as well, that how they would basically resolve conflict and how they would coexist with one another and how they would go about in handling disputes. Well, one of the um, Jewish tribes, and there were three major Jewish tribes that the Prophet had these conversations with. There was Banu Qaynuqa'a, who resided within the city limits of the city of Medina. The second tribe was Banu Nadir, which was right outside the city of Medina. And the third tribe was Banu Quraidah, which were a little bit further outside of Medina on the other side. And so Banu Qaynuqa'a, which was one of the tribes, this was a very well-established tribe. It was known as a very powerful tribe. They had very decent numbers. And they actually lived within the city of Medina. So they were neighbors to the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ had made every effort possible to be able to maintain a very peaceful relationship with them. However, what had happened was, again, Badr was a very major event. Right? So after the Battle of Badr, Banu Qaynuqa, this Jewish tribe, and particularly some of their leaders and some of the more political elements within the tribe, were very weary of the Muslims after this time. They were just overall very apprehensive about their relationship with the Muslims. The Muslims had not given them any reason to be apprehensive. They had maintained total peace and complete and total autonomy and respect for the Jewish tribe of Banu Qaynuqa. But however, they themselves just had this paranoia that was festering, that was brewing, and they were very concerned about their relationship with the Muslim tribe, with the Muslim people. And unfortunately, some of, like I said before, some of the political dynamics or elements within their tribe started acting out. One of these specific incidents that's mentioned is Shas ibn Qais. Shas ibn Qais was one of the senior leaders of Banu Qaynuqa who did not like the presence of Muslims in Medina. He did not agree with having a peace treaty with them. And so there were multiple incidents where he had tried to instigate fights, not only between the, some of the Jewish uh, residents of Medina and the Muslims, but even amongst the Muslims. Because he recognized the fact that a large portion of the Muslim community were the Ansar of Medina, the local residents of Medina, the natives of Medina, if you will. And they had two major tribes that they belonged to, Khazraj and Aus. And he was very familiar with the fact that these two tribes did not like each other, could not stand each other for years. And they had fought with one another. And so he specifically had multiple times tried to instigate and incite fights amongst the Ansar by rem reminding them of Yawm Bu'ath. Yawm Bu'ath basically was um, a very tragic day of fighting that had happened between the Aus and the Khazraj pre-Islam where many of the Ansar had died and had been killed on that day. And so he specifically started, he would quote Yawm Bu'ath and incite fights amongst the Ansar. And one time it became so severe, where they got up and started getting into a physical altercation with one another, that the Prophet wasallam had to be called in. And the Prophet came running, dragging even you know his shawl behind him. 
And he came there and he had to reprimand everyone, calm down everyone, kind of get between the fight, sit everyone down, reprimand them a little bit, and then talk some sense into everyone. What are you doing? And the Prophet ﷺ was informed at that time that Shah ibn Qais was behind a lot of this mess. And so the Prophet ﷺ had met with the leaders of Banu Qaynuqa saying that, look, this is not healthy for you, this is not healthy for us, this is not healthy for Medina. You need to control these elements amongst you. But there was not a willingness to do so. So already the relationship had continued to become more and more turbulent and more and more problematic. And this was due to the paranoia of some of the, you know, influence, uh, some of the influential people within Banu Qaynuqa themselves. Not only that, but then what started happening was that there were other very problematic events that took place as well. There was a little bit of a harassment of some of the Muslims from some of the uh, members of Banu Qaynuqa that was also happening as well. There were certain incidents of financial uh, issues where what would happen was that somebody from Banu Qaynuqa owed money. This, there were multiple incidents like with people of Khazraj where they would owe money to somebody from Khazraj. But what, they would refuse to pay them. And when they would be called and they would be held accountable, they look, you have a written, it's written down, you have witnesses, right? You have your signature on this piece of paper. You owe this man this much money, why don't you pay him? They would then start making excuses, well, see, our agreement was when he, before he became Muslim. وَإِذَا تَغَيِّرَ الْحَالِ تَغَيِّرَ الْحُكُمْ So they were like usulis. They would say that when the situation or the status or the nature of something changes, then the ruling of that thing changes as well. And he used to be a mushrik and I owed him money. Now he's a Muslim. He is no longer the same person. Therefore, the guy that I owed money to does not exist anymore. You're the ones who say, إِنَّ الْإِسْلَامَ يَهْدِمُ مَا كَانَ قَبْلَهُ خلاص, alright, Islam eradicates whatever was there before it. So I don't owe him any more money. I don't owe him money anymore. So I don't know what you're talking about. There were a lot of these types of, you know, games that were being played. And after a while, these, you know, incidents and events and situations kept piling up one on top of another on another. And it started creating a lot of tension and unrest within Medina. And the Prophet ﷺ did not want it to reach a boiling point where somebody would take matters into their own hands. And so it's actually mentioned by Ibn Ishaq that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ he gathered all of the people of Banu Qaynuqa together in their marketplace. You know, um, he gathered them together and he said, Ya ma'ashara Yahud, ihdaru min Allahi mithlama nazala bi Quraysh min al niqmati wa aslimu. He says that, listen, O people of o, o Yahud, Banu Qaynuqa, he said that, be very careful, fear God, be mindful of playing these games. Because look what happened to the Quraysh. You don't want something like that happening to you. And it wasn't a threat. He was just simply mentioning that, look, God took care of the people of Quraysh. وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَا وَمَا قَتَلَهُمْ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ قَتَلَهُمْ 
Right? That it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it was Allah who took care of them. So look, Allah took care of the people who played these types of games. So straighten your ways, don't play these games. وَأَسْلِمُوا not on, so this is, this is discussed by a lot of the scholars. He wasn't necessarily telling them to become Muslim. He was saying, so remember the treaty that we've signed and comply by the treaty. You put your names, you put your signatures on a document. Abide by your agreement. And so, فَإِنَّكُمْ قَدْ عَرَفْتُمْ أَنِّي نَبِيٌّ مُرْسَلٌ He says, you know that I am a messenger and a prophet and I have been sent. You might be in denial, but you know that that's mentioned within your books and your text. And you know that this is true. So, you know, change your ways. They responded by saying, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad, I think you have us mistaken for your people. Meaning the Quraysh. You have us mistaken for your people, meaning the Quraysh. لا يغرنك أنك لقيت قوما لا علم لهم بالحرب. You should not, you shouldn't forget the fact that those people that you fought in Badr, the Quraysh, they don't know how to fight. فأصبت منهم فرصة. So you were able to overcome them. Big deal. إن والله لا إنحاربناك. However, if you were to fight with us, swear to God, then you're going to find out who really knows how to fight. Who's in charge over here? Right? So they, they, they responded in this very aggressive way to the Prophet ﷺ. So eventually, what the Prophet ﷺ was afraid of, what the Prophet ﷺ did not want to happen, is exactly what ended up happening because of the stubbornness of some of these people. That, and, and Ibn Abbas mentions that basically, Allah speaks about this warning that the Prophet ﷺ delivered to them in the Qur'an. قُلْ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا سَتُغْلَبُونَ وَتُحْشَرُونَ إِلَىٰ جَهَنَّمَ وَبِئْسَ الْمِهَادِ That say to these people who disbelieve and continue to pick a fight with you, that one day will come when you will be defeated. And that defeat will extend not only to this life, but the life of the hereafter. To where your defeat will take you to the fire of hell. قَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ آيَةٌ فِي فِئَتَيْنِ الْتَقَطَى Because God showed you what happens to such people when the two armies met one another in the battlefield. But of course they didn't listen. They weren't interested. So Ibn Hisham mentions a very unfortunate incident occurred. One of the women from Medina, from the Ansar, she was basically, she had milked some of her goats and animals, and she brought that milk to the marketplace to sell it there. When she brought the milk there, she sat down um, to basically, you know, sell it. Some of the shop owners or you know uh, people that were selling things like traders from Banu Qaynuqa they were there and they started harassing her like sexually harassing her started you know whistling and cat calls and you know making inappropriate remarks and comments they started sexually harassing her 
she started to get very, very upset. And so she was about to get up and leave. And one of these men, because again, what was from the custom of the Arabs at that time as well, was that um, even though this is before the ayah about hijab being mandatory came down, but it was generally from their practice that for the sake of modesty, they would wear a more looser outer garment. Right? Or even the garments that they would wear themselves were a little bit more loose. So either they would wear a more looser outer garment or the, maybe the dress that they were wearing would just be loose in and of itself. Um, so because of that, it was a little bit big, it was larger, it was kind of free-flowing like an abaya. And what one of them did, very unfortunately, was he took the end of the dress and he kind of tied it or, um, or he kind of you know, held it up. And when she went and she stood up, the dress got lifted completely up from the back and it basically exposed her. She was just wearing the dress. And so it was like somebody kind of like pinning her dress um, to something. And when she got up, the dress completely lifted up uh, with her and it exposed her, unfortunately. Um, and she became very, very angry. And, and so when it exposed her, when it uncovered her, all the, the Jewish men that were there, they started to point and laugh and started again making even more inappropriate comments. They started making a mockery of her. Um, and there was a, and she started to scream. There was a Muslim man who was nearby in the marketplace. When he heard her scream, he looked over and he sees that um, the poor sister, you know, they've, you know, pinned her dress or tied it up and she's uncovered and she's trying to fix her dress and they're all pointing and laughing and, you know, making fun of her and being very, very extremely offensive in their conduct and behavior that he ran over there and the man who was either holding the dress or was, had pinned it, um, he basically jumped on him and they started fighting um, and in their basic, uh, basically while they were fighting and kind of tussling with one another, um, the Jewish man, you know, hit his head and started bleeding from his head and eventually died from that wound. And when they saw that he had been so seriously injured, all the other men that were there basically attacked the Muslim man and they killed him. Now, all of this ended up happening because of you know, this tension that was already there. And then such a highly offensive thing occurs, such you know, basically an assault. They assaulted that sister. And all of this transpires, and this was exactly what the Prophet was trying to avoid. This was what he was trying to warn them about. So the Prophet um, and this started now becoming a huge issue. Now, a lot of the Ansar, they started, you know, uh, basically going home, putting on their armors, grabbing their swords, congregating together that we're going to go and just exact revenge for this whole incident. We're going to go teach these people a lesson. So the Prophet ﷺ came in and he calmed everyone down. And he gathered and he collected all the Ansar and he said that 
we have a legitimate grievance here. And so the Prophet ﷺ gathered the Sahaba together and they marched basically over to the neighborhood of Banu Qaynuqa. And they surrounded the neighborhood. And the Prophet ﷺ said, once and for all, we're going to settle this issue. And so they basically laid siege to them. Now, eventually Banu Qaynuqa realizing their situation, they laid down their arms and they came out and they surrendered and they said, okay, we understand, we didn't listen, things have gotten out of hand, we're willing to sit down and renegotiate some terms. Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, who is known as Ra'isul Munafiqeen, the leader of the hypocrites. This was the man, if you recall, when the Prophet ﷺ was migrating from Mecca to Medina, when he entered into Medina, he stopped outside of his home because he was like the de facto leader of all of Medina. And the Prophet ﷺ wanted to show him some respect. And he stopped outside of his home and he would refuse to come out of his home to even greet the Prophet ﷺ or to even meet with him. This man had nothing but hatred for the Prophet ﷺ. And he had actually, the narrations mention that he had only accepted Islam or pretended to accept Islam. And again, we don't make that judgment, but this word, these were his own words that he would say to some group of people when the Prophet ﷺ wasn't there, but then would smile and act all nice and pleasant in front of the Prophet ﷺ. A hypocrite, basically. Um, and so he had, he had publicly accepted Islam or claimed to have accepted Islam maybe about a month or so prior to this incident. So he walks up to the Prophet Sallallahu and he, he used to enjoy a very uh, interesting kind of political uh, relationship with Banu Qaynuqa where there was money exchanging the uh, hands under the table. Um, and he used to enjoy this type of a relationship with Banu Qaynuqa. And so he came in and he said, you know, this is going to mess up the little racket I have going over here. This will mess up the situation I have here. And he walks up to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, Ya Muhammad. Now this is somebody who again, even claims to have accepted Islam very recently. But he walks up to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Muhammad, ahsin fi mawaliya. And the way he said he was being very aggressive. Hey Muhammad. You make sure you handle this correctly, okay? And he was being so rude and offensive. The Prophet remained quiet. He pretended like he didn't even hear him. Because he was being confrontational. Again, he comes around in front of the Prophet and says, Ya Muhammad, ahsin fi mawaliya. You make sure you handle things properly with these people, okay? I have a relationship with them. Again, the Prophet pretended like he wasn't even there. It's not worth it. So then the third time he comes around to the Prophet and he grabs the Prophet The Prophet was wearing armor. He grabs him by his armor. And the armor the Prophet was wearing was called Dhatul Fudul. This was a particular armor the Prophet had that was very large, very heavy. So he grabs the Prophet's armor. Like this. Extremely offensive. He grabs the Prophet's armor like that. And he again says, Ya Muhammad, Ahsin fi mawaliya. 
The Prophet says, Arsilni, get your hands off of me. Remove your hands from me. And the Sahaba who narrate this incident, they say that, وَغَدِبَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى حَتَّى رَأَوْ لِوَجْهِ ذُلَلًا The Prophet got so angry, like offended by this, that you could see the red in his face. That the look on his face changed, the color of his face changed. And then he wouldn't let go. And he was like maintaining eye contact with the Prophet being confrontational with him. And the Prophet again said, وَيْحَكْ أَرْسِلْنِي What's wrong with you? Get your hands off me right now. And he said, لا, Wallahi, la ursiluka hatta tuhsina fi mawaliya. I will not let go until you handle things properly with these people. These are my people. And he said, he says to the Prophet ﷺ that he says they have 400 men. They, had 400, they have 400 men, soldiers, who are not armed. They have 300 soldiers who have armor on. They have 700 soldiers, 700 fighters, 400 of them without armor, 300 of them with armor. He basically, now he's realizing, I need to kind of change my tone here, and I need to like let him know that I'm only saying this because I know these people. And he says that I worry about the fact that if we take too drastic of action right now, the other Jewish tribes will basically join forces together and try to attack us. I'm, I'm looking out for you. I'm looking out for Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ then said, Hum lak. Alright then. If you say that you know your people, then you take responsibility for them. But if some, this goes bad, if this goes wrong, I will hold you responsible. And he says, yes, okay. However, at the same time, Ibn Ishaq mentions, Ubadat ibn Samit, one of the Ansari leaders, who was, a, who was also a leader of Khazraj, he comes and he says that, I have a relationship with these people. Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of God, I have a relationship with these people as well. However, I offer all I, I hand over all authority in this matter to Allah and His Messenger and the community of believers. And I absolve myself of my relationship with these people. So, O Messenger of God, don't let this man put words in my mouth. He says, oh, we Khazraj have a relationship with them. This, he has a relationship with them. I absolve myself of their, my relationship with these people. You do what you have to do. And it is about these ayah, this entire incident, that the verses in Surah Al-Ma'idah were revealed. And now that you understand the context of it, now listen to the ayah that was revealed at this time. It is from uh, Surah Al-Ma'idah. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ayahs, excuse me, Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayahs 51 through 56. 
where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, la tatakhidu al-yahuda wa nasara awliya. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O you who believe, do not take the Jews and the Christians as allies. Now again, you see how ayat like this get misquoted. Ayat like this get misquoted to basically say that we're supposed to always be adversaries and enemies and at odds with Christian and Jewish people. We're not allowed to live in peace with them. No, no, these ayat were revealed at this time. Because you had the hypocrite who was taking the side with the Jews and you had the believer who took the side of the Muslims when there was a conflict between the Muslims and the Jews. Whoever sided with them has basically let you know where their allegiances and their loyalties lie. Meaning this hypocrite is closer to them than he is to you. He's closer to being a Jew than he is to being a Muslim. وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ مِنْهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ And God does not guide people who do not have the ability to stand with the truth. فَتَرَى الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ You will see that the people who have a disease in their heart, يُسَارِعُونَ فِيهِمْ That they were very quickly run to them. يَقُولُونَ نَخْشَى أَن تُصِيبَنَا دَائِرًا They'll make excuses, say, I'm only looking out for the future. I'm only concerned about what could happen later on. فَعَسَ اللَّهُ أَن يَأْتِيَ بِالْفَتْحِ أَوْ أَمْرٍ مِّنْ عِنْدِهِ فَيُصْبِحُوا عَلَى مَا أَسَرُّوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ نَادِمِينَ But very soon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring victory. Or Allah will bring the judgment from Allah. And these people will become very regretful of all the secret backroom conversations and agreements and exchanges that they've had with the enemy. And those who truly believe will then recognize the hypocrites and say that these are the people they used to swear by God. Right? That these hypocrites, they belong with you, the Jews, the enemy. They have wasted their deeds and they are amongst those who will regret this. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَنْ يَرْتَدَّ مِنْكُمْ عَنْ دِينِهِ So, O you who believe, anybody that turns your, their back on you and goes and joins rank with the enemies, فَسَوْفَ يَأْتِ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ Don't worry, let them go. Because God will bring a people. Allah will bring other people. بِقَوْمٍ يُحِبُّهُمْ وَيُحِبُّونَهُ that Allah loves those, Allah will love those people and they will love Allah. Adillatina alal mu'mineen. They will be very gentle when dealing with the believers. A'izzatina alal kafirin. And they will be very firm and strong when dealing with the, the, the enemies from amongst the disbelievers. Yujahiduna fi sabilillahi wala yakhafuna lawmatalaim. They will continue to strive to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they will not fear any type of recourse or any type of you know criticism from anyone. That is the blessing of Allah. Allah bestows upon whomsoever He wills. Wallahu wasiun alim. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all encompassing and all knowing. That your allies are Allah. 
the Messenger of Allah and those who believe. And who are those who believe? الَّذِينَ يُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ They establish prayer. وَيُؤْتُونَ الزَّكَاةِ They give charity. وَهُمْ رَاكِعُونَ And they maintain unity. وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فَإِنَّ حِزْبَ اللَّهِ هُمُ الْغَالِبُونَ And whoever sides with Allah, and sides with the believers, and sides with the Messenger of Allah, then they are the people who are loyal and dedicated to Allah. And they basically will come out on top and they will be victorious throughout this entire situation and through this very unfortunate circumstance that you are dealing with. So these were the ayat that were revealed at that time to address this entire situation that had transpired amongst the Muslims and amongst the Jews of Banu Qaynuqa. The conclusion um, and the final uh, situation with them was that Finally, at the end of it, um, the Prophet ﷺ decided that the tribe of Banu Qaynuqa could maintain their residence there. But one of the things that was discovered at that particular time was that some of the people of Banu Qaynuqa, they were basically making weapons. They had been preparing a, a huge... You know, not the type of weapons that are there for personal protection or personal safety or security, but they had been amassing, they had been making, preparing, amassing like a huge stockpile of weapons within their homes. And that's how you know that this was shady business. They didn't like put up a big sign and put it there and be like, this is, these are our weapons for self-defense and protection. No, they had been hiding them and stashing them in their homes. Because they were basically you know, um, trying to see what they could do to possibly attack the Muslims. And that was discovered at that time. And so some of the people amongst Banu Qaynuqa who wanted peace, they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, Ya Muhammad, this is what some of our people are up to. And I'm not ratting my people out, I'm just telling you because there are some of the, us who would like to remain in peace. And so the Prophet ﷺ made them surrender over a lot of their weapons at that time um, so that this threat would be removed. And at that particular time, the Prophet ﷺ decided to leave them. But we're going to revisit the situation of Banu Qaynuqa because they would of course again violate the agreement once again. And at that time, the Prophet ﷺ would have to deal with this situation again. So we'll go ahead and pause and stop here insha'Allah. Um, in the coming uh, session, we'll talk about uh, another little incident that happened regarding uh, the Quraysh. And then we'll also be talking about the, in the incident of Ka'ab bin al-Ashraf. And so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. نستغفركم أنا تقول لك